number of years ago, I read a story about a family that uh, in 2013, they were walking through their property in Sierra Nevada, California, when they spotted a rusty tin can underneath a tree on their property. It looked kind of like this. Not that unusual, especially if you live uh, on a lot of property. But curiosity got the better of them, and so they walked over to investigate the can, and they pulled it up out of the dirt, and they took it home, and they, they cleaned it off, and they opened it up, and when they opened it up inside, this is what they found. Uh, it was a number of gold coins dating from 1847 to 1894, uh, and so they went back to the tree and looked around a little further, and it turned out there were eight of them. And inside these cans was more than 1,400 gold coins dating from, uh, you know, 150, 160 years ago. And uh, the the value of them when they finally uh, got them appraised was well over $10 million. Now, I love that story. I love stories like that. Every time I read stories like that, I go walk around my backyard. Uh, (laughs) But I live in the suburbs, so that takes like 45 seconds. I've never found anything in my backyard. But that's like my dream, is to find something unbelievably valuable, hidden in plain sight, uh, that, that enriches my life. I mean, what an astounding thing, really, when you think about it, that, that really sitting there virtually in plain sight uh, was all of this wealth, that, that 160-some years before, somebody had buried it in the dirt, and there it sat. And they forgot it was there for generations upon generations, all this untapped wealth. I share that story because I think in many American homes, that sort of untapped wealth is sitting in plain view and it's not really being utilized on a day-to-day basis. It's, It's not really enriching the lives of the people who have access to that treasure, who own that treasure, who have that treasure in arm's length. You might even have that treasure sitting in arm's length of you at your house and yet you're not using it on a day to day basis. Now, you probably figured out by now, I'm talking about the scripture, that you have a Bible. It might sit on your nightstand, it might sit on a shelf, and maybe you pick it up once in a while, but maybe you don't have a regular habit of digging into it, of reading it, of obeying it, of of learning from it. I think most of us would agree if if somebody said to you, hey, the, the word of God is more valuable than gold. Most of us would agree with that. I think most of us would agree that the spiritual and eternal riches that the word of God offers are greater even than eight cans of gold coins. In fact, the Bible tells us as much. Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. Let's look at this together. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable. Here it is. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. In other words, King David, when he says, what's the most valuable treasure that I have? He says, it's the word of God. It leads to righteousness. It leads to eternal life. It leads to the knowledge of God. It's the most valuable thing you have. It's more desirable even than eight cans of gold worth $10 million. Now, I think most of us would say, I believe that. Because we believe the scripture is true. 
But if we're honest, we often don't take advantage of that treasure that's in arm's length. Let me just show you a few statistics. These are from the American Bible Society. Every year they do kind of a state of the Bible survey, and, and every year I, I look at it and, and follow it and, and kind of want to learn what it says. So uh, from this year, uh, they just released the, the most recent version. Uh, they found about 60% of Americans, this isn't even just Christians, about 60% of Americans believe the Bible at least contains the words of God. Now, some believe it's uh, without error, some do not. But about 60%, the majority of Americans believe the Bible at least contains the words of God, that God has spoken through the Scripture. 45%, now this has dropped in the last few years, but, but 45% believe that the United States, that our country would be worse off without the Bible. In other words, they say the Bible is a positive influence. It's the word of God. That's, that's maybe about half to 60% of our country believe something like that. 85% own a Bible. So most Americans own one. They've got it in their house. On average, Americans have three Bibles per household. This is a, a pretty Christian group, so I'd imagine uh, you have more than that in your house. Yesterday, as I was uh, refreshing this sermon, I just counted in my office how many were in there. I think I counted 15 that I could find just in my office. That doesn't include the ones at home. Now, I'm a pastor. Maybe I have more sitting around than you do, but I'll bet you have five, six, seven, eight, maybe 10, maybe 15 if you really looked around your house. Most people have a Bible. A lot of people have a lot of Bibles. And yet, let me show you a couple other statistics. 26%, only 26% of Americans read the Bible once a week or more, even once a week. Now, if, if you ask me how often do you read the Bible, I'm going to count when I read it in church, right? So uh, only 26% even read it once a week in church or more often. Only 10% read it every day. A few years ago, I ran across another survey that said fewer than a quarter of Christians in the United States have ever read the entire Bible all the way through. So we believe it's God's word. We believe it's more precious than gold. We believe it's really valuable. We believe it will change our lives. We just don't read it. And so I want to talk about that this morning as we begin a new year for this reason. First of all, I think some of you in the room, you probably already have uh, written a New Year's resolution to read through the Bible. Uh, whether you read it through in a year or whether you read it through in longer. One of our staff members this morning as we were preparing for the service, she said, I finally got through my year in a Bible plan and it only took me three years, right? And that's okay. And that may be you. I've been there before as well. So a lot of you already have that plan, but I also want to bring it up because I think a lot of us would say, if there's one thing that I want to do this year, in 2023, if there's one thing I want to focus on this year, I want to focus on my relationship with Jesus. If there's one thing I want my life to be known for, I want my life to be known for Jesus. I want to be a person who knows God deeply, who obeys God with my life, and who helps other people know God. That's who I want to be. And here's, here's why we're talking about the Bible then this morning. Because I think for most of us, most of the time, the first step in our lives to knowing Jesus Christ in a deeper way, assuming you're a Christian who believes in Jesus, the first step to knowing Jesus is, to, is listening to his voice through his word. If you want to know Jesus... You have to know his word. 
The Word of God, the Scripture, is the main way, and Trey said it earlier this morning during worship, it's the primary way that we hear from God, that He speaks to us. The Spirit of God inspired men to write these words over about 1,500 years plus so that we can know God. So at the beginning of a new year, if you want to know God, will you commit to reading and studying And obeying his word. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. How can you and I make reading and obeying God's word a greater priority in 2023? How can we make reading and obeying God's word a priority in 2023? Some of what I'm going to say is going to be obvious to you. Some of it you're going to go, yes, I know that. But I want to talk about some of these ideas uh, at length this morning to help us get to a place where reading and obeying the word of God is a priority. So what are some ways we can make reading and obeying God's word a priority in 2023? The first first one simply is this. We have to find time. We have to find time. Now again, that may sound obvious to you, but the reality is for, for many of us, myself included, if there's something that we say we want to do, uh, the, the first objection that comes into our minds is where am I going to find the time to add something into my life that I'm not already doing, right? But the reality is also at the same time, we do find the time for those things that really matter to us. We do find the time for those things that are really significant to us. Let me just, again, a few more statistics I want to share with you. These won't be up on the screen, but uh, the, the government actually does a time use survey every year of how Americans spend their time. On average, they find almost every year for the last several years, on average, most Americans spend between two and three hours a day checking their phones to some degree. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, email, text, other forms of communication. Um, So most people spend between two and three hours a day checking their phones. Now, that's not necessarily bad. I'm right there with you. I'm on social media. I have email on my phone. Uh, I send texts to my family. Uh, But two to three hours a day, that's actually a lot. And I'm going to guess that a lot of that time for a lot of us is sort of mindless time. It's escape time that we are just scrolling through things when we might say, what if I were to take 20 minutes of that time? And I'm going to give some suggestions in a moment. 20 minutes of that two hours and invested in reading the scripture. Now, the reason I say, say 15 to 20 minutes is because in 15 to 20 minutes a day, most people could read through the whole Bible in a year. 15 to 20 minutes a day, most people could read through the whole Bible in a year, even if you miss a couple of days. Let me give you a couple other statistics. Um, 95% of Americans, that's nearly everybody, spent some time every day in leisure activities. The average amount of time, the average amount of time in leisure activities, get this, was for most people nearly five hours. And now what are leisure activities? Certainly playing games on your phone, uh, but definitely like exercising, sports. The biggest category of that is watching TV. Now, some of y'all are thinking there's no way that I spend five hours a day in leisure. But they found even the busiest people, even working moms with small children, for example, generally spent three to four hours a day in leisure. Uh, those, uh, they, they talked about like reading. They found that people who are older spend more time reading. Those who are younger spend less time reading. That was part of the leisure time. But what if you said, I'm going to take some of that leisure time and turn it over into reading God's Word? Uh, the reason I say this, again, it's like any habit. We make time for what matters. In fact, we make time for what we 
love. Let me just share you a real quick story. Some of y'all have heard this before, but when I was uh, just out of college, I was an intern at Grace at the church. And so it was, the, the intern job was set to be, I don't know, like 25 to 30 hours a week. It was a part-time internship that actually really was a full-time internship. I worked more like 40 hours a week. And then I also had a second job at a print shop here in town for another 25 hours a week. And then I, you know, I tried to have a social life, tried to connect with my parents, all that. If you had said to me, do you have any time? I would have said, I have no time. I have no time in my schedule. But then at some point, about halfway through that internship year, I began uh, dating my now wife, Shannon. And it was amazing how time materialized, right? Where I had no time, all of a sudden I had three-hour blocks of time to sit at Chili's and just have a conversation. All of a sudden I had tons of time just to go over to her house and, and have a chat, or to talk on the phone. Time materialized, why? Because I made time for what I loved. I would even say I made time for what I was, who I was, learning to love. Reading the scripture is making time for what we're learning to love, for who we're learning to love, which is God. And so for me, it's it's been helpful to think about finding that time in God's word, not as another task primarily to check off the list, although it can be that, but instead primarily as the cultivation of the most important relationship in my life. That if God has taken the time to speak to me through his word, and then as we read earlier, most powerfully through his son that his word testifies about, then I want to make time to know it to hear it, to read it, to find that time. So, so you say, where am I going to find that time? Let me just offer, again, a few suggestions. Maybe it is you, you get up 20 minutes earlier. You say, well, I can't do that. I'm not a morning person. I resonate with that in my soul. All right, so you say, I'm just going to head to bed 20 minutes earlier. Instead of 10, 9.40. I'm going to head back to my bed and I'm going to read the scripture. One thing, and I'll talk about this uh, in, in a little bit, but one thing that has helped me over the years actually is I make use of the time that I'm in the car. There's a lot of, um, I, don't, I don't read it while I'm actually driving. I don't have it in front of me. But there are a lot of apps now that you can use that you can listen to God's word when I'm in the car alone. And so I do that. After I, I drop kids off at school on my way to the office, I press play and there, there are apps that will read the scripture. And interestingly, I learn things and catch things when I'm listening that I might not when I'm reading. And so I would challenge you, figure out where can I find the time, 20 minutes a day, to invest in God's word so you can invest in the most important relationship in your life. So find the time. Secondly, I wanna challenge us to take the time to learn how to read the scripture. Now, some of you may go, well, I know how to read. Like, I've, I, I know how to read. But the scripture can be challenging to read uh, for a few reasons, right? Uh, one is simply that there, there's cultural distance between us and the writers of the scripture. So maybe you're reading 2 Corinthians 13, and you come across a passage that says, greet one another with a holy kiss, right, in 2 Corinthians 13. You go, I don't think that I'm going to apply that one-for-one correspondence with everybody that I see in 2023. So we go, there's a cultural distance, but there might be a principle at play 
that I need to understand. Or I read a book like Ruth and I go, what is the deal with you know, Ruth going down to the threshing floor and uncovering Boaz's feet? And all that seems kind of weird and very removed because they lived in an agrarian culture. They lived in a much more patriarchal culture. They lived in a different type of culture than we live in. And so it can be hard to understand sometimes what's going on. There are also language barriers that the Bible that we have, because most of us speak English, it was translated from Greek or Hebrew. And so there, there may be language barriers. There can also be theological challenges, questions about God that come up. I'll never forget years ago, I was reading uh, Genesis in the children's Bible with uh, one, our oldest daughter, Elizabeth, and uh, I finished the little reading for the day, and she just peppers me with all the questions. Daddy, why did God make the serpent in the first place if he knew the serpent would be bad? Daddy, how can Adam and Eve actually be made of dust? Daddy, where are Adam and Eve buried right now? Right now, where can we go see their graves. Who buried them? Did God bury them? If they died and nobody else was around, who actually buried them, right? Why is there an angel guard, like just, just peppering me with all these questions? And I said, no, it's, it's, it's time for bed. So we, we kind of went on, <laughs> we went on to bed. No, I'm kidding. I did my best. But I think a lot of us, we open up the scripture and we, we struggle to understand it because there's these questions about God. And so sometimes we give up, right? Because these difficulties begin to pile up. I always say that like Leviticus is where the year-long reading plan crawls to die. Because all of these questions begin to add up and it's hard to read and it's difficult to read. And so we tend to give up because it's not like reading any other book. Right, but the reality is that it's worth it to persevere. I want to offer just a few uh, practical tips really quickly for how to overcome some of these barriers. How can we read the Bible in a way that we learn how to read it well? First and foremost, I'm simply going to say pray. Now again, I said some of this is going to sound obvious, but how often do we open God's Word and begin to read without asking for God's Spirit to enlighten our reading? The Word of God, the Scripture, is a supernatural book. It is divinely authored through the pens of human writers. And so you can understand it on a surface level often without the influence of the Spirit. There are non-Christians who have written commentaries on the Bible. But if you're really going to understand what God's Word means and what God has done and who God is and who you are and how you ought to respond. You need the Spirit's insight and direction. And so before you open up, pray. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. In other words, the idea is if you know Jesus Christ, if you believed that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, and because of Jesus you have eternal life, you know Jesus Christ, that means the Spirit of God lives within you. And Paul says one of the primary reasons we have the Spirit of God is why? So we can know what God has said, and know what God has given. And one of the greatest gifts God has given is His Word. And so before you even open it, simply say, God, I need your help to understand it. I need your help to obey it. I need your help to see what it's saying in my life today. So pray. Before you open the book, 
If you don't yet know Jesus Christ, the thing I want to say here is simply this, that to really understand what God has said, you have to know God. And in order to know God, you have to know him through Jesus Christ. And so I, I would encourage you if, you, if you're curious about Jesus and you don't yet know anything about him, by all means, open up the scripture, read the gospel of John, because John said that he wrote that book so that we may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that we can believe that, and by believing, we can have eternal life in his name. But if you read it and you ask God to show you what is true, then I believe he's going to show you the only way to eternal life is to trust in Jesus Christ. That's where knowledge of God and his word begins. So if you don't know Jesus and you say, I've tried to read it and I didn't understand it, that's because it's a supernatural book. You have to know God first. If you want to know more about knowing Jesus Christ, uh, I'd love to talk to you about that. Or perhaps a friend or family member that you came with would talk to you about how to know Jesus. But it's really very simple. You just believe that because Jesus gave his life in your place, he died for your sin and rose from the dead, you can have eternal life. You believe that, and then a whole avenue of understanding and knowing God through his word begins to open up because of the power of his spirit. So pray. Secondly, practice. Simply practice. I don't know uh, if uh, those of you who have kids that you've taught them how to read, um, I'll just say, it's, I'll admit it, I, I didn't particularly enjoy teaching kids to read. I know I shouldn't say that. But if you ever sat with a kid who is on their fourth run through of like, you know, spot the dog, and they're sounding out the words and they're like, and you're like, it's the, right? It's, it's the word the, right? And it takes them 25 seconds to get through the, and then they're like, duh, ah. God, right? And they just, they go through each word and each word is a labor and you, you look at the teacher's instructions and they have to read 15 pages before tomorrow, <laughs> right? And you say, when are they ever gonna understand it? But you know what happens is day after day after day as they practice, they learn how to read. Reading the scripture is a skill. I'll share this just vulnerably for a moment. Um, so in various phases of my life, I, you know, I, I exercise in different ways, but, but years ago, uh, I exercised by, by running, and I haven't done that in a while, but coming into the new year, I said, okay, I want to begin running again, and so I want to maybe by, you know, a few months into the year, run a couple of races with my middle daughter, who's much, always going to be much faster than I am, but who likes to run, and so I was like, I want to run like a 5K with her, something like that. So I, so I begin the training, and you know, I'm, I'm, substantially older than I was last time I did this. So I begin to train and everything within me says, this is, you can't do this. This is a bad idea, right? My body is saying it. My mind is saying it. Everything's saying it. My feet are saying, this is a bad idea. You need to stop. You're going to die. Like all of these things are coming into my mind, but I know what happens. You just have to, the only way to get better at it is to do what? Just to keep running day in and day out. And inch by inch, you get better. Reading the scripture is the same way. So you're going to hit maybe Leviticus, and you're going to say, I want to stop. I want to encourage you, just keep reading. And you say, if you can't go through the whole Bible in, in one year, that's really, truly okay. So maybe you slow down, or maybe you move to the New Testament. But don't give up. 
keep practicing, keep going. It's a learned skill through prayer and the power of the Spirit. I would also encourage you, join a group. Join a a Bible study group this semester here at the church or some group of people where you can read and study the Scripture together. Because as we meet together, we learn about the Scripture from one another. And those of you who have participated in our groups, we're going to go through the book of James this spring in our small groups. You know that you learn insights and you see things when you're with a group that you wouldn't see otherwise. God designed us that way. We're supposed to study the Scripture and know Him as a community, as a team. This is why Hebrews 10 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, as the time for Jesus' return is growing nearer, we ought to be gathering all that much more, not just here on Sunday morning, although we want to do that, but throughout the week as we gather together to study the Word of God and to help each other understand it and to read it together. Join some kind of a group that will help you study and read God's Word. I really want to encourage you to do that. If you say, man, I've been been thinking about how can I engage with the Word of God more deliberately this year, you probably could do nothing better than to join a small group at Grace where you can learn how to study the Word with a group of people who are studying it together. And then lastly, um, how should we read it? Use, use some resources. It's okay. There's a few great free resources that I love to use um, by some teachers that are very gifted. Um, one is called soniclight.org, S-O-N-I-C-L-I-G-H-T.org. Um, it's a professor, a retired professor from DTS, from Dallas Seminary, who's created uh, detailed notes on every book of the Bible. It's got to be thousands of pages worth of material that he just gives away for free. There are paid resources. There are videos. Never before in history have there been so many good resources available if you get stuck or you need some help. That said, use resources with discretion and discernment as you seek to understand God's Word. But again, if you're in a book like Numbers or Leviticus or one of the Old Testament prophets and you say, I don't understand where we are or what's happening or what's going on, sometimes reading something or watching something from somebody who's studied this for, your, for their whole life can help. All right, so pray, practice, join a group, use resources. That's how we can read the Bible. So again, we want to find the time. We want to learn how to read it. Thirdly, we want to let it transform us. We want to allow the Scripture to change us. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says all Scripture is God-breathed. By the way, that's a unique word in the New Testament, and as far as I know, it's unique in all of Greek literature. It's a word, theopneustos, breathed out by the Spirit. It is, it is God-exhaled. God breathed it out so that we can breathe it in, so that we can understand it. The Spirit of God is in the Word of God. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And this is important. Sometimes I think we read the Bible and we're disappointed by it because we come to it with the wrong questions. I think sometimes we come to the Bible to solve our problems. So we come to the Bible and we say, God, I, I don't have enough money. Where, where is the scripture going to show me what I can do to get more? 
Or God, I, I'm, I'm single and I want to get married. Where's the scripture going to show me how to find a spouse? I need that problem to be fixed. Or I'm married and I want a nicer spouse. Where's the scripture going to show me how to find that? Or I'm, I'm married and I want kids. Where's the scripture going to show me uh, how to fix that problem? Or I have kids and I want better kids. Where's the scripture going to help me with that problem, right? So we come to the scripture to solve these problems when, when in fact, when we read what the scripture says about, about, about us and about itself, in fact, the scripture is designed not necessarily always to solve our external problems, but the scripture consistently says, actually, the real problems are in here. The real problems are in here. That what the scripture wants to do is shape us and change us and transform us. This is why the writer of Hebrews compares it to a, a double-edged sword that penetrates to the deepest parts of our being. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. What's he saying? When you open up the scripture, it will open up you. And it will pierce to the deepest part of your spirit and soul to show you these areas of your life where you're not living in conformity with the will of God and with the word of God. I don't know how many people in this room would say that you enjoy getting surgery if you ever had surgery. Um, it, it's usually unpleasant. Uh, I, was, I remember uh, there was one surgery in my life that I was awake for um, I was a, a, like a sophomore in college, and I found that uh, as I was walking around, especially if I was wearing dress shoes, I had, I had a sharp pain on the sole of my foot, and there was just kind of this lump growing on the sole of my foot as I walked around. And so finally, I went to an orthopedic surgeon, and he looked at it, and he said, okay, yes, uh, you have a particular type of benign tumor right on the sole of of your foot, it's actually called a Morton's neuroma, which I thought was amazing because that's my last name. Is I'm Matt Morton, and so I was like, there is somebody who discovered a a tumor, who knows how long ago, that I now, his namesake, have growing on my foot. And so, <laughs> it was it was really this cool full circle moment. But before I digress too much, he said that the answer is we have to cut it out. Right, So you need surgery, we're gonna remove it. So they gave me an anesthetic on the bottom of my foot and then I, I laid on the table and they cut it out of my foot and it was uncomfortable and it was unpleasant even with, with the anesthetic. But you know what? After a few days of recovery, you know what? I could, I could walk smoothly again. The cutting was painful and unpleasant and I didn't want it. But it healed me and it made my walk work the way it was supposed to work. Right? That's what... Hebrews 4 says the word of God does. So you have a day where you're, you're snapping at your spouse or your kids or you're feeling bitter about things in your life that you can't seem to change and you're angry and you're taking that anger out on others and then from your reading in the scripture you come across Ephesians 4 that says 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to cut to the core of your being. 
to say some things need to change by the power of the Spirit of God. Or you read the story of Israel in the Old Testament and how prone they were toward idolatry because in their idolatry, they traded the presence and the power of God for the the fleeting illusion of security and stability. They said, as long as we've got enough money, we've got nice enough houses, we feel comfortable enough, we don't really need God. And you say, I see that in myself. And the Spirit of God cuts you open through the power of the Word of God. All right, or you come to Philippians 4, and it says, whatever things are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And you say, you know, the things that I watch, the things that I look at, the things that I read aren't always described that way. And the word of God slices you open to heal you. It'll cut you, but only to make you better. And so what we wanna do as we approach it is we approach it with a submissive heart and an open heart to say, God, I wanna know you. And the way to know you is through your word. And I wanna submit to however the spirit wants to change me through the power of the word of God. Again, as we round the corner into a new year, if you wanna know the word of God, you ha- if you wanna know God, excuse me, you have to begin in his word. It's how he's spoken to us. So let me offer, we're gonna close in worship in just a couple of minutes, but let me offer a few quick, very practical suggestions for how to get started. If you're saying, I'm convinced, I wanna read the word of God, I wanna submit to it, I want it to change my life through the Spirit's power, but how do I begin? As I said before, first of all, pray for wisdom. And I would even say this week, Pray that God would give you some wisdom about what is the best time in your schedule or place uh, in your life where you can incorporate reading the scripture into your life. Again, like I said, Begin maybe with just 15 minutes a day. There may be a few of you, you're super ambitious, right? And you're gonna say, I'm gonna read the whole thing and I'm gonna start with an hour a day, right? And this would be like me saying, tomorrow I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna run nine miles after not having run much for a couple of years. I would burn out, I would hurt myself, and I would quit, right? And so don't do that when it comes to reading the scripture. Begin with just say 15 minutes a day, 15 to 20 minutes a day. You can actually get through the Bible, most of us, in the course of a year. Pray for wisdom, start with 15 minutes a day. Find a good plan. (laughs) Um, Again, there are plans all over the place all over the internet, ones where you can read straight through the Bible, one where you, ones where you can go through it chronologically in, in the order the books were written. Uh, there, are, there are ones where you can do five days a week, seven days a week, whatever. Uh, I have a friend, John Dyer, who, who made a great website. It's a Bible reading plan generator. Uh, where you can set the parameters, how many days a week you want to read, uh, whether you want to do just the New Testament, just the Old Testament, uh, Psalms and the New Testament, whatever, and it'll create a plan for you day by day through the Scripture. If you just search Bible reading plan generator, it'll be one of the first options that comes up. So find a good plan and begin it. Read with other people. Read with other people. Let me offer another quick resource. Our own Shane and Jen Leckler actually have a Facebook page. It's called Whole Bible 365. It's just a Facebook page where they will take you through a chronological reading of the scripture 
day by day throughout the course of the year. I haven't even told them. I went through it with them uh, over the course of the last year and got through the scripture in a single year, 365 days. But, but people will comment on some of the passages and provide insights, and you're reading it together with a group of other people. So find some other people you can read it uh, with. Again, listen to the scripture. version has ways that you can listen as you're driving. Uh, there are other apps where you can play it, you can listen. I found that to be very productive in my own life. And then lastly, don't give up. Just simply don't give up. Keep going. And if you miss a, a few days, you miss a week, pick up again and start where you left off. Keep going, keep persevering because it's worth it. Again, this is a treasure more precious than gold. I think all of us know that if we had uh, eight bags of thousands of coins that were worth $10 million, we would use it. I would. We wouldn't just allow it to languish. We have an eternal treasure so that we can know God and the pathway to eternal life and how to serve and obey Jesus and make disciples and glorify him. We've got this word of God to know him and follow him. It is an eternal and priceless treasure. So I'd encourage you, read it, study it, and don't quit. Don't give up. The payoff is worth the effort. And the joy is worth the pain of submitting to what God wants to do in our lives through his word. Let me pray, and then we're going to close in worship. Father, we are so thankful. We're thankful for Jesus, as we read and heard earlier, who is the living word of God that you gave so that we might know you. Father, we're thankful that in the scripture you've spoken to us. And as we turn the corner into a new year, our prayer is that we would hear from your word, we would submit to your word, we would obey your word. Not just so we can have more knowledge about your word in our heads, Lord, but instead so that we can know you, the author of scripture and the author of our faith. Father, we pray we would submit to your voice and follow where you lead. It's in Jesus' name we ask all of these things. Amen.